I really love feeding people, but feeding kids fills my soul. We serve kids. And you look at the word serve. We don't just serve them food, but we serve them a smile. We serve them love. We serve whatever their needs are for that day. Welcome to the School Meal Marketing Podcast, produced by Dunk Tank Marketing. I'm your host and chief dunker, Dave Palmer. For more than a decade, we've worked with school nutrition programs in Southern California to boost participation, engagement, and awareness with students, staff, and families. We've learned a ton and met some amazing people whose stories we want to share, along with some tips, insights, and lessons we've learned about how to change the face of school nutrition. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and even how we can help you or your district, visit us at dunktankmarketing.com and look for the School Nutrition tab. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And some five-star reviews would also help if you're so inclined. We're kicking off Season 1 with Missy Poirier, Director of Nutrition Services for Harupa Unified School District, a K-12 district in Riverside County, California. I heard Missy on the iBytes podcast and immediately got in touch with her to talk as she shared so many things that struck a chord with me and that I wanted to share with others. We get into a wide range of topics, including how she implemented change within her team, which is no small thing to do anywhere, how school cafeterias are the most regulated restaurants around, we coined the term Sneaky Scratch to talk about her approach to introduce scratch cooking to her team, and we reinforced the meaningfulness of child nutrition professionals in the lives of children. It's a fun ride, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Missy Poirier and our entire season on School Meal Marketing. Missy, thank you for being here. I so enjoy talking with you, and I'm excited to share some of your story with our listeners to start off, tell me a bit about your district. Tell me about Harupa Unified. Where are you? How many school sites do you serve? How many students? Give me an overview of all of that. Okay, so Harupa Valley is just west of Riverside in Southern California. So we're a little bit east of Los Angeles. So about an hour, hour and a half east of Los Angeles. We have 24 schools. We serve around 18,000 students. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. And how long have you been there? How did you arrive at Group Valley? I've been here for two years. I came from Palm Springs Unified School District, where I worked for almost nine years. I was the uh, chef and central kitchen supervisor over there. Uh, I was a caterer. I was a lot of things over there. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the next logical step in my career is to move into a director's position. Uh, this one came and and by the grace of God, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. And, and two years ago, so yeah, you came in during just a, a regular time of no change or anything. It was crazy. It was yeah. crazy. So, I'm sure. And as you said, you worked in other districts doing other roles. You kind of came up to this spot. So what sort of vision were you bringing in once you got the chance to kind of be the head and what vision did you have? What challenges were you facing? What are the things you were most excited about with that? I, I think in the timing, because we were, we're right kind of smack in the middle of COVID, we were serving kids on campus, but it was there were still issues. You know, there were still lots of waivers and all that. So it was difficult to serve 
a lot of fresh foods because you still had to keep people six feet apart. It just made it made it very difficult. So my vision, you know, when we came out of COVID was to really get back to some fast scratch at an absolute minimum and then reach for that goal of doing as much scratch cooking as we can. We're limited. We don't have very big kitchens. All of my elementary kitchens are little galley kitchens. So they have literally an oven. That's it. And some coolers and that's all they have. But my plan and my vision is to build a central kitchen here in Harupa Valley, hopefully within the next five years, so that we can really expand what we're doing. And I've made really small incremental moves towards that goal. And I don't really tell my staff, so I hope they don't listen, because I just kind of sneak things <laughs> on the menu. I show them how to do it. I sneak it on the menu just once, you know, maybe once a month. Maybe I move it to twice a month, and then I slowly make it weekly. And then before mm. they know it, they're making more things from scratch. So we actually are already making a lot more things from scratch, you know, and sometimes it's simple. It's coleslaw or it's, you know, a broccoli salad or a ranch bean salad or just something that's kind of simple enough for them to do. And then I move into just a little bit more. Your sneaky scratch. There's fast scratch and there's sneaky scratch yes. now. That's, that's going to be your terminology. I have to give you credit for sneaky scratch. Are you doing that within the school sites or is there a central kitchen or how, how does, what are the mechanics of that? No, we're doing it within a school site, within okay. all of our school sites. There are a few exceptions. So I do have a couple of really large high schools, like on March 14th, which is pie day, we did apple pie for everybody. So for the elementary kitchens, because they are so small, I had one of my larger kitchens make the crumble crust for the apple pie. And we just sent that over to them already made. So all they had to do was take the apples and put them in a pan. We did crustless on the bottom. So put the apples in a pan. There was a, there was a recipe. So they had to sprinkle a little bit of uh, cornstarch and a little bit of sugar and then put the crumble top on top and throw it in the oven. That's all they had to do. And honestly, even some of my most difficult team members were proud of themselves for looking, look at how good it came out. I'm so proud of myself. Excellent. And that's the momentum I wanted to build on is let's get them happy and excited to do something and feel like right. they achieve something and then move forward and just keep going and don't stop. Because if we stop, we lose that momentum. Right. So you're trying to help them really realize the capacity that they already have. Absolutely. COVID kind of stripped the life out of everybody, especially in schools where we were giving kids food and they were taking it home and we were, weren't really having that experience of them eating with us. And now that we're back to them eating with us, I'm trying to really light that fire again because a lot of people have lost it. And they're just like, here you go, kid, here's your food. That's not the service that we should be providing. We should be providing service just like a restaurant. We are a small restaurant within this school and we should be providing service with a smile and we should be making sure that the kids are enjoying what they're having and not feeding the trash cans. That's my biggest thing is, you know, there's too much hunger in this country, and it's frightening how much hunger is in this country and in this state and in this county, to be honest with you, in this town, for us to watch kids throw perfectly good food away. So we have to encourage them to try new things. We have to encourage them to eat the food that we're providing for them, and we have to make it palatable for them. We have to make it fun for them. And so I think, you know, the more we play around and have fun for ourselves, once we start loving it again, the kids will love it because they're going to see it in us. And when they see it in us, 
they're going to start like, well, you made that? That looks great. And they're going to eat it yep. because they want to make you happy. Ultimately, especially elementary kids, they're really there. They want to make sure that you're happy. And so they're going to eat it because you made it. Absolutely. There are so many things in there that you said that I want to follow up on and figure out where. This is so good. The one that I'm going to go to, and this is something when I heard you on the iBytes podcast with Chef Patrick, what are the things that stuck out is, is something I think I even told you when we first talked. Oh my gosh, I've been saying this with clients for years. And you said this very thing of child nutrition is really one of the only departments, maybe the only one that has the potential to engage every child every day. And so that experience is much more than offering a meal, serving a meal, that sort of thing. How do you get that across to your team? How do you talk about that with, even with other, you know, I don't know if you do, but like, how do we get that across to other school staff? So the teachers and paras and everyone realize, oh, there's a really impactful experience that happens in that cafeteria. That's it's actually really hard to get that message across, to be honest with you. It shouldn't be, but it really mm-hmm. is. Nobody else in the district understands what happens in nutrition services. Everybody thinks you just feed kids. It's just that simple. We just feed kids. <laughs> you know, when in fact, we are the most heavily regulated restaurant you'll ever go to. You know, I mean, it really is the most heavily regulated restaurant. So we can't just feed kids. And that's not what we do. We serve kids. And you look at the word serve. We don't just serve them food, but we serve them a smile. We serve them love. We serve whatever their needs are for that day. And honestly, a lot of kids, they look to that cafeteria staff because we're not the ones in the classroom with them. So they feel real comfortable coming up to cafeteria staff and saying, hey, you know, I don't like this class. Or they'll talk about their problems more with cafeteria staff than with almost anybody in the school because they feel so comfortable with us. We don't judge them. We we feed them. We give them love. And they know that and they feel it. And because of that, they come to us with their issues and we do the best that we can to help them you know, in any way we can. And the way that I kind of get that across to my staff is whenever I hear a story from one of my staff members, you know, this happened and I did this, is that okay? I let everybody in the department know. I'm like, hey, this happened and this just happened. We just did this. Uh, We had a special ed person came and asked me, you know, how can I get this family food? And I know this is totally, you know, don't listen, CDE. This mother of three, she has a nine-year-old, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, three-year-old is special needs, and mom is bedridden. And so a caseworker went to the house to try and get the kids enrolled in school and figure out how we're going to you know, get them to school and all that. And there was no food in the house. So the caseworkers called me and said, we need to get some food there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll never say no to that. I, and I don't care what the regulations say. I will always pack up some food. And I gave them food so that they had food. But we also, we gave them food for the interim, but we also gave them resources. That is something that I'll spread amongst my team, but not just my team, but all of the directors in business services. They'll all know about it so that we can disseminate that information so they understand that nutrition service, we are here for service. You know, we will support you. We are of service to you. Anything we can do that will help, we're going to do. We try as hard as we can to stay within the regulations. But on an instance, like I just told you, there is no regulation that covers that. There is nothing 
written that covers kids that are really hungry and it's by no fault of their own, no fault of the parent and cannot provide for her kids. And thankfully, we came along and we were able to get them some food and resources. And those resources will then take over and continue the food and other things that need to be done. But there's nothing that encompasses that, you know, so slap my hand. I'll take it. (laughs) Honestly, I'm here to feed kids no matter what it takes, really. And I tell the CDE that all the time. I'm going to feed the kids no matter what it takes. And then you can, I'll ask you for forgiveness later. You know, if I did something wrong, tell me. But I don't think it's ever wrong to feed a kid. And like you said, the cafeteria is a space that is free of whatever perceived pressures kids might feel in the classroom or even in hallways around other other folks. It really is one of the freest spots for kids to be themselves during the day. And it's remarkable the stories that come out of that. I'm so glad that you share those stories. My experience in working with lots of different programs is the staff of Child Nutrition are phenomenal folks, but they so don't want to be in the spotlight. And so we kind of have to turn it around and say, look, this doesn't have to be about how great you are, but it does have to be about how much we care for our kids and and what the needs of the kids are. And flipping that story a little bit and sharing that, it's remarkable. And I'm sure anybody that listens to this that's in child nutrition, we all know these stories of things that kids will disclose or share or come to people for help. Yeah. And the more you share the stories or the more you ask, because I ask whenever I go to sites, I ask you know, what's going on? Like, you know, you have any kids that need anything or are your kids good? And someone will tell me a story. And the more I repeat those stories, the more stories come to me. It kind of frees them. You know, my staff feels like it's okay for me to tell you what I did. Like, I'm not going to get in trouble. And I think that's the biggest point is the staff thinks they're going to get in trouble because they gave that kid an extra entree or an apple or whatever. Listen, if the kids are hungry, I want you to feed them. Do I want you to do that thing every single day that violates a little bit of a regulation? No, not necessarily. But tell me you did it because the only way I can really make true change happen is to find out who that student is and why that student is so hungry. Yeah. Because there's a root cause. And if we just keep putting a Band-Aid on it, we're never going to find the root cause. And once, you know, you, you just have to sometimes delve into that and find out what's going on. You know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that these kids are are low income or whatever. It, sometimes it's kids that are in middle class homes that they still need that support because you don't know what their parents are doing or not doing. And I, I don't care. I care what the kid <laughs> make sure the kid is taken care of. So this brings up one of the things that you had mentioned a little bit earlier with your sneaky scratch sort of approach to things, the idea of change management. Right. And trying to bring change to a department. Part of that can be, hey, if the kid is hungry, let's make sure we feed them. But then let's share that and go. That could be. And it sounds like within your team, that was a big shift. Tell me a little bit about how you approach that sort of change. How do you bring people along? How do you build consensus, get feedback, all that sort of stuff? Because I know from talking to you a little bit before, you're collaborative and you also have a vision of of where you want to go. So talk to me about how that works. Yeah. So we are, you know, I mean, California, we're very heavily union based. So we do have a a bargaining unit. I try and find those folks who are constantly involved in the bargaining unit. And I try and make them my friends. That was the first thing that I tried to do is, okay, so who's the biggest mouth in this department? (laughs) Because they're going to be my best friend. 
I'm going to make them my best friend. I'm going to be there. I'm going to support them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to do everything I can to make them trust me so Mm -hmm. that bargaining unit is not my problem. I don't have that problem because that is a significant problem if you don't get the right people on your side. That was key. And there were like yeah. people. So there are about four or five people that I really needed to kind of coddle for like the first year because I wanted them to be my best friend. I had to get them to be my best friend <laughs> to make everything work. And that was that was the first bit. And then just going out working side by side. I work shoulder to shoulder with these folks. I don't I don't sit on my laurels. And for the first year and a half that I was here, I had no choice but to be shoulder to shoulder with them because we had so much absenteeism. Absenteeism is probably the number one problem in school nutrition. And so, you know, when you're that short staffed and it's difficult to get, it's been real difficult to get staff on, you're working the site. I was working the sites all the time. Thankfully, knock on wood, we are pretty well staffed now. And so now my major problem is absenteeism and I I've did hire some subs. So hopefully this coming school year, we have better attendance and, and, and yep. I don't have to be out at the sites quite as often. Because it takes me away from my vision and trying to get those things put in place. You know, the thing that most folks don't understand is the amount of planning that's necessary to get anything moved, especially in school nutrition. I ordered new refrigerated trucks for my drivers over a year ago. I don't have them yet. And I don't have an ETA. Sometime in the spring is what they're telling me. So two years to get a box truck, you know, when you're limping along with what you have. Those are real significant things that I've got to plan and make sure that we're on top of. So supply chain has been a huge pain and a huge hurdle. We're mm-hmm. getting there. It's nowhere near being over, but we're, we're getting incrementally better. you got to get people on your side. And, mm-hmm. and part of that is really making sure that, that they know that you're human. There's just something that comes with the title. You know, I'm the director. Well, you're the director. And I'm like, so I can take trash out. I'm no better than anybody else. I am. I just happened to have a degree and I worked my way up and I got to this position. I don't feel I'm better than anybody. If I need to come and do your dishes, I'll come and do your dishes. Whatever needs to be done. And I think that's the attitude that directors really need to have is I'll do whatever you need me to do. And then your folks, your team will really be behind you because they'll like, yeah, you know, of course. And I want to make sure everybody has opportunity. So I try and find out more about folks. I just recently found out that, you know, one of my high school managers has a culinary degree. Had no idea. Well, that changes the game. Let me help you. What are your goals? What is it that you want to do eventually? You know, give me your five-year goal because let's try and chunk that out into small bits that we can accomplish and make small goals for you so that we can get you where you want to go in five years. So you're not yeah. sitting as a cafeteria manager wasting your degree. You know, I mean, you could be using that degree to the betterment of yourself, your family, your the employer. I could definitely use that degree to come and help me. So I've had her helping me do all kinds of stuff and really expanding her learning base and her knowledge base. And you have a background in culinary I do. world. So this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about because this is coming up more and more. And as I talk to other, I know several other directors or supervisory area directors who really have, have all been to culinary school. They've worked as chefs. They've done these things. Seeing school nutrition as an actual career path for this, where it's reframing that a little bit. What was your path to it? And then what do you think would be an effective way to show people that this is a, a legit career path? Honestly, you know, mine was just by chance. I adopted my nephew. 
And so I have this eight-year-old and I'm working a chef's job. I'm not getting home until three in the morning. And the onus really ended up on my mother. So it was like my 70-year-old mother is now taking care of her grandchild because I work, you know, and I work nights. So I'm leaving the house at noontime and I'm not getting home until three in the morning. I was doing a disservice to the child, you know, so I quit my job and took a job actually at a grocery store just so I could have benefits still, but not work 70 hours a week. Chef, right? Huge pay cut, whatever. And I was taking him to school and somebody at the school, I think the secretary told me you should look at schools, work in the school cafeteria. And I'm like, really? And I never, it never, ever occurred to me before that. So then I, I looked, I applied, I got the job. And once I got in there and they realized what I could do, because I, I'm a yes person, I want the culture to be yes and not no. So whatever they asked me, yes, I can do that. Absolutely. Oh, you need someone on Saturday. Sure, I'll do that. Special function, got it. I got, and so it, it helped me because I'm a yes person. It helped me just move up and up and up quickly. So, you know, within three years, I was running the central kitchen because I said yes. And I tell everybody, say yes, stop saying no. If you say no, then that's what's going to stick in, in that administrator's mind is no. But if you say yes more often, or if you say, oh, I can't do that, but I can do this, and you give them an option, you have a better path because you're going to have, they're going to think of you differently. You know, so for me, that's how I got there. But trust, if I knew about school nutrition when I was in culinary school, it, it might have been a different game. I think I would have been a different person. I am who I am because of my path. You know, I worked 35 years in restaurants and hotels and, and whatnot before I got here. I'm glad I got here. This is a yeah. great schedule. I really love feeding people, but feeding kids fills my soul. I mean, it just does. It just fills my soul. So I, I've always been passionate about food, always. But now I'm passionate about feeding kids, like super passionate about feeding kids. Because they don't get to choose. You know, you can choose which restaurant you're going to go to. You can choose the item on the menu. Kids are told, this is where you go and this is what you're eating. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I want to give them more opportunity. And I want to see them try things that they've never even seen before. Things that look alien to them. Like a rambutan. It's my favorite thing. It's my favorite story. I bought rambutans so I could see what the kids, and the kids like looked down. I'm like, I'm supposed to eat that? You know, and opened them up and fed them. And then, then you have kids like, oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, it's really good. You know, and then yeah. a mom calling me and saying, all right, my kid tried something at school today and I don't know what he's telling me it is. It's a rambutan. <laughs> and she's like, where do I get them? He he has to have more. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it was awesome because now I just taught the parents something. So that's good too. Exactly. Well, like you said, by saying yes to all of that, now you have new experiences. You find things that you like, you find things even if you don't, you've had a chance to do that and, and you expand the worldview of what's going on. You really do. When you look at all the things that are coming down the pike, uh, all the sustainability stuff, you know, especially in California, mm -hmm. we've got to separate our trash. You know, right. so you've got to separate organic material from trash and you've got to separate all your cardboard and your recyclables. So that's all mandated now, you know. So let's start early with these kids in kindergarten, teach them how to do it. They need to learn how to do it. And then they're going to go home. If we do it here in the district, the kids are going to go home and it's going to happen at home because they're going to be like, oh, where do I put my extra chicken nugget or whatever that I didn't eat? There should be a space for that, not just in the trash. They'll teach their parents. It'll all happen. And then the world will be a better place. And again, schools really 
do provide a space where that can happen at greater scale. We may want to have this happen, but to now have that drilled into, as you said, over 18,000 kids yeah. every day, that that repetition and the specificity of what is supposed to happen really can make a, a big difference. Okay, I'll make this quick. If marketing your school food program is the thing you always want to do, but you never seem to have enough time to get to it, Dunk Tank Marketing can help. We've been boosting participation, engagement, and awareness of school food programs for more than a decade. So whether it's branding, messaging, creating content, or even a done-for-you social media plan, get in touch and tell us what you need. I'm sure we can craft a plan that's perfect for you. Go to dunktankmarketing.com and set up a no-obligation consultation today. And don't let your marketing fall off your radar again. All right, now back to the show. One of the things that I also know that you've talked about that is so nice within the world of school nutrition is it is so collaborative and collegial and you're not competing with someone, right? Like districts may compete to get students, but within the nutrition departments, you don't have that. So you get to work and learn from other people and do all these sorts of things. How does that play out? And I know you just hosted an event this summer with, I think, six different districts in the area. What does that collaborative thing look like and, and the ability for people to be colleagues and, and learn? From? In nutrition, we have a state, uh, well, we have a national organization and a state organization, the uh, California School Nutrition Association, and then nationally, the School Nutrition Association. And so if you participate with the California School Nutrition Association, you meet people from all over. And it's all about what's working in your district. And we just talk. And it's just a conversation, right? So I was at a conference and we're, the USDA was there and the CDE was at this conference and we're talking all about scratch cooking and all this stuff. And, and all these people around me, they know I'm a chef. So they start asking me questions. And I'm like, you don't have to be a chef to be able to get this stuff done. You really don't. You just have to, you have to change your mindset. You've worked in schools for 20 something years. So you just have to reignite that fire. And that's really what happens is you, you get kind of complacent in doing the same things. And then COVID hit. And I hate to keep doing that, but it, that's what happened. COVID hit and it like slapped everybody. They just knocked all the life right out of everybody. And everybody's all afraid to do anything now. And so it, we were sitting at a conference and I just said to a group of people, you know, why don't we all just get together? We'll get together, we'll go somewhere, and we'll just have a day where we just take ingredients and play. And we'll create some recipes, we'll walk out of there with a handful of recipes, and we can all implement them in our own districts. And that'll be half the battle, you know, and just kind of get out of your comfort zone, really, just step outside the box. So I called another district that I know has a central kitchen. I'm like, would you be, you know, open to hosting this at your district? And he was like, yeah. He's like, let me work out the details before you invite anybody. Okay, great. So he worked out the details, got all the thumbs up from everybody that he needed to get thumbs up from. I started sending out invites. I invited all the local districts oh, within 100 miles, I guess. It's really local. Yeah. So anybody and everybody, I invited them all. I kind of wanted to keep it to about 25, 30 people. Asked him, uh, it was at Desert Sands Unified School District, and they have a really great culinary program. So I asked Dan if he could get some culinary students. And he's like, well, they're not in school, but I'll try. I said, okay. I didn't count on it, but I was like, you know, it'd be great if they were there because that's who we're trying to feed. doesn't matter if we like it. We need them to like it. So if they're there and they get to help us make it 
and they get to help us create the ideas and then they get to try it afterwards and they like it. I mean, that's a win-win. Asked some vendors for samples. You know, I mean, I just just kept going. And so we had this event at the end of June and there were six districts represented. There were about 15 culinary students and we broke it down into five teams. So we had five chefs there from different districts. So each chef took a team. There was a couple of kids on everybody's teams. There was a director on everybody's team. And then we just went into this amazing kitchen. The culinary arts kitchen in La Quinta is amazing. I mean, it's nicer than my college culinary arts kitchen. I'm not not lying. Uh, It had some fantastic equipment. And everybody was tasked with building one breakfast recipe and one lunch recipe. Some of us got a little overambitious. And instead of walking away with 10 recipes, we walked away with 18. You know, we worked together for probably five or six hours and took pictures. And now they have to write their recipes, attach the picture and send it all to me so that I can send it out to everybody. And all of the vendors who donated product, if we use their product, we're going to have their code number on there so that they can then send it out to all of their customers. Because, hey, you used the Simplot item in this in this recipe, so we're going to send it to all of our customers now. So now you've got all these recipes that could just be sitting within six districts, but they're going to end up being disseminated around Southern California. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a win-win for all of us. We're not in competition. We're in the same boat. We all have the same goal. We all want to feed kids. We want to make sure it's nutritious. We want to make sure it's delicious. We want the kids to eat. You know, it's funny because no matter what you do, when you start talking to all the people around you, they're all having the same problems, the same struggles. So why try and work on it yourself when you've got 10 other people around you that have the same issue? Collaboratively, we can make a much bigger move. We can move that needle so much faster and so much more if we all get on board. And that was really the idea. And it just kind of sparked from sitting around at a conference, listening to the USDA and, and listening to all these people ask these questions and all the people around me asking me questions. And I was like, we just need to do this on a bigger scale. So now we've taken this concept and we've just pitched it to the, the annual conference for the California School Nutrition Association. So this is something that we want to do when the whole state meets. We want to do it. On, at the annual conference and do a mini recipe development session where we just have random ingredients and you just create. Because I think the thing that we've lost is the ability to use our brain. We've got to get creative again. And yeah. part of that is just getting in there and touching and feeling and smelling and, and doing. You've got to do it. Are you hoping to do that this fall in Palm Springs? Yes, that's the goal. That's great. And I would love to, when you get all of your recipes done, if you'd be willing to, I would love to have that and share that, not just with the the districts that I work with, but just in in general with the newsletter and that sort of stuff. We'd love to, any of those resources, it's so great to be able to, and the fact that you had 15 culinary students involved and understanding what goes into it. That's a massive sort of endorsement from those students. It was nice though, because then as you know, as a director, I kind of, the two guys that were working with me, I got to kind of explain the program to them. This one thing that none of the students understand is all the regulations, you know, because they're like, well, what if? And I'm like, man, we can't really do that. And they were like, well, why not? I'm like, well, because that's bacon. <laughs> we can't right. eat bacon. <laughs> we can use turkey bacon, but we can't use bacon. It's too high in fat, too high in sodium. I mean, there's <laughs> there's things that we just can't do. 
And they were like, oh. And so they didn't understand that portion. So they walked away with a greater understanding of the difficulties we have trying to put things on their menu that meet all of the regulations. I mean, it really is, like I said, it was a win-win. And to be able right. to duplicate that again in October would be fantastic. And then those students go out and they can advocate on your behalf with their peers of, hey, this is the reality of it. And the intent behind all that is very good. Exactly. There's some great conversations. What are you looking forward to in this coming school year for 23, 24? What sort of stuff are you doing with your team that has you particularly excited other than continually to surprise and sneak things in on your team and hope they don't doubt it's still too late? Well, they're going to notice this time. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty blatant on the menu now. <laughs> I've purchased three barbecue stations for my three high schools. So it's a whole enclosure. It's a kiosk and it's got a 60 inch barbecue with 30 inches of flat grill space. So I'm really looking forward to those finally arriving. Like they've been over a year in order. It's just a whole nother level that we're going to bring it to at the high schools. And I also bought a, uh, a barbecue trailer. We'll do a barbecue at each elementary at least once a month with the barbecue trailer. So we'll, we'll drive it around and we'll be able to cook right in front of the kids. Because I think that's the difference is cooking right in front of them. It's more of an experience. And with the elementary Absolutely. kids, you know, once a month, that'll be a great start. And like I said, hmm. steps, you know, it's a great start. And then we'll, we'll move the needle as we can. You know, we have issues with storage in all of our elementary schools. So that's a challenge that kind of stops me from doing some things that I want to do because we're, how are we going to do it is really more of the question. And so the logistics of it haven't been worked out yet, but we will get there someday. But for this year, we're going to have a rotating barbecue once a month at all the elementary sites and the, the high school sites will have a full-time barbecue every day. And so we'll just play with different things. And, and I really kind of want to put it out to the staff. Like, what do you think we should do on the barbecue today? you know, roast corn, that kind of stuff, roast the vegetables, take those vegetables that the kids don't always want to take and let's elevate them to a different level. So the kids are like, what is that smell? Oh, well, that's roasted, whatever, you know, yeah. just, you know whatever you have on the grill, it's, it's asparagus we're roasting today and, and have them try it. That's what's coming up. <laughs> and then that's great. things that I can come up with over the course of the years, I see things and I take pictures and I'm like, we're going to do that. What other things are you involved? I know you do Harvest of the Month. What other sorts of, do you have other programs that are going on the, to do sort of nutrition ed, experiential stuff? Yeah, so we bought three blender bikes this past year. So in the spring, we started doing blender bike parties to kind of encourage kids to come to school. That was our, our little help in attendance. Uh, so we're going to expand that program this year. Because at the beginning of school, I only had one blender bike. By the end of the school year, I'd purchased two more because I saw the potential. And so for this year, our attendance, you know, we're really pushing it with the principals, like saying you need to get blender bike parties on the calendar because yep. the kids will come to school because they know if they come to school, you know, for that whole month, they're going to be able to participate in this blender bike party and they love it. I mean, they have a ton of fun with it. So that's that's one thing that we've got going on. And we, like I said, we started it. Now we're going to expand it. Some other things are just some new menu items, you know, some that we came up with at this event. One yeah. uh, is a, it's a, like a chicken, a breaded chicken sandwich with uh, kimchi. So one of the flavors that I've kind of played with, with my kids, because I have five kids. So trying to figure out what they like, and they love all the Asian flavors and kimchi for whatever reason, I don't like it, but they love it. They absolutely love kimchi. 
So I've been messing with kimchi and it went over really well with the students who really liked it. It's on the upswing right now. It is. So I'm just trying to look at trends, you know, those trends and figure out if we can do them. And if we can't, then how can we? It's difficult in California. You know, most school districts only have one lunch for 2000 kids. It's difficult. It's, it's so trying to get those kids to come and eat. You know, you're only feeding a small portion of them. I think at my largest high school, we have 2,500 students and I feed about 37%, 38%. And then on the day that we have pizza, pizza day, it goes up to about 42%. So I'm trying to find those menu items that are going to keep it up to the pizza day level. You know, right, right. Up in the 40s. I prefer it much higher than that, but it's difficult when they only have 30 minutes to eat and they've got to get from class, get in line, get their food, then go sit and eat and try and chat with their friends. You know, some kids just skip it. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a tough thing for you to have. I mean, all the restrictions that are placed on you, that might be one of the toughest ones, honestly, is just getting people through the service. Yeah. Yes. It's a barrier, but you know, yeah. we'll go overcome that. So it's, we'll just chop that down, you know, bit by bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Continue. Good. Well, I'm excited to hear. I'm a huge blender bike fan. I've been doing those with Vista for a while. And the kids just love them. Oh, so much fun. Is there anything else you want people to know about what's going on or what they should do? Obviously, like look for you at the Chasna conference because you're going to be there. I'm going to be there. <laughs> we're going to have fun. Your parents encourage your kids to eat vegetables. Uh, the biggest thing that I see, I mean, we are mandated. We have to make sure they take a fruit or a vegetable. We spend lots of money providing fruits and vegetables that. Unfortunately, a lot of times end up in the trash. So encourage your kids to try new things. It helps us. (laughs) Then your kids won't go home saying they're so hungry because all they ate was a cheeseburger, but they didn't eat all of the other array of things that were offered to them. Just saying. Maybe we can get their kids' form of rebellion is going to be eating fresh fruits and vegetables. Thank you so much. Again, I feel like I've got a million more questions, but maybe do it again sometime. That'd be fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Missy Poirier as much as I did. Missy's energy, insight, and dedication to her work are as inspiring as they are fun to hear. Check our show notes for links to the recipe she mentioned and a way to get in touch with her, as I'm sure she'd love to hear from you. Please consider subscribing to the show and leaving us a five-star review to help others find this podcast. And if you need help marketing your school nutrition program, visit dunktankmarketing.com and set up a free, no-obligation consultation call to see how to level up your marketing today. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Be on the lookout for more from the School Meal Marketing Podcast from Dunk Tank Marketing. <laughs>